Psalm 34. Let me give you a little background. David fled King Saul, who sent a hit squad after him. He went to the tabernacle, and he had a band of men with him. And he said to the high priest, we need some food. I had to leave Jerusalem so fast. No food, no weapons. And so he gave the showbread meant only for the priest. He gave it to David and the men accompanying him. And David also said, uh, we left so fast, we didn't even get any weapons to bring with us. And so, well, I have Goliath's sword here. Will that work? Oh, yeah, there's no sword like that. I'll take that sword. And then David, as no explanation in the historic portion of the scripture, David went straight from the tabernacle, insanely went to Goliath's hometown of Gath, one of the five Philistine cities, with Goliath's sword. They instantly recognized David, captured him, put him in chains, and brought him before Achish the Abimelech. Abimelech was his title, Achish was his name. And the Lord, in that Psalm 56, David wrote that psalm while you're in their custody. I will not fear what can man do to me. I will not fear what can man do to me. I will not fear what can man do to me. And they kicked him out of the city. But in that psalm, David says, vows made to you are incumbent upon me. I have made a vow. In the book of Leviticus, they had a format. It's called the thank offering. If you get yourself in trouble, or you just get in trouble, you can cry out to God and say, Lord, if you will deliver me, I will throw a banquet later at the tabernacle or later the temple. I will throw a banquet. It's called a thank offering. And I will present, depending on the wealth of the offerer, a sheep or a goat or bull. <laughs> and, of course, David, when he does this, he's king. He can afford. And they have to eat the whole animal within three days. Whatever is left over gets just burned up. But I will stand before the crowd, and I will voice what you did in delivering me. Psalm 34 is many years later when David became king. He finally had the opportunity to do what he had promised to do while in the custody of the Gathites, the Philistines. The superscription above verse 1 for this psalm, a psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. These are the first 10 verses of that public declaration at the time of that thank offering. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed, probably describing the people surrounding David. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. 
the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. You can claim that. (laughs) Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. It's very easy for us to believe that for other people. Well, we believe that for ourselves, Lord, if I walk with you, divine blessing accompanies. Divine blessing accompanies. Our Lord, we ask that today, as we are gathered together, that you might give us an understanding of you. Show yourself through your word to us. Show yourself what you are like and what your ways are to us and what your provision is to us in all of your love, all of your grace, all of your mercy, all of your kindness. Show us the reality of the environment that we're walking in, which you are the Lord of completely, even to the breath, every single breath that we take. We ask that you would give us a deeper understanding of what you are like and what your ways are today. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. The Holy Spirit's letter to the Romans, chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading, uh, please forgive me, Stephen, for messing with you, in verse 1, last week we covered verses 1 through 11, but we need to get a running start because chapter 5 and actually into chapter 6 is all one big chunk that all works together. So beginning in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, perhaps, for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of, by the, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. <clears throat> for, if by, <coughs> for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is the environment that we walk in? What is the culture that we walk in on this planet, whether it's the United States of America, whether it's China, whether it's India, whether it's Brazil? What is the spiritual environment that we walk in and what created that spiritual environment? We walk in a spiritual environment, and I don't think that I'm saying anything here controversial, at least among Christians. The spiritual environment that we walk in is very tumultuous. It's very, we are being attacked from several different directions. We are as the scripture says, of, of, to, of some people in some cultures, lay in the lap of the wicked one. We can see Satan's hand everywhere, but at the same time, what do we know? Those who can voice with Job, I know that my Redeemer lives in the midst of all his pain, in the midst of all of his suffering. 
what did Job cry out? I know that my Redeemer lives and shall stand on the earth. And though after my flesh, worms destroy this body, still from within my flesh, I will see God. He is my Redeemer and He is the coming victorious King who's going to yank me out of the grave and stand me with a glad welcome in His presence. That day is coming, ladies and gentlemen, when all of God's people will stand before Him in incorruptible bodies, which we will need in order to endure, if you want to use that word, His blessing. He will pour out the blessing to us redeemed ones, those whom Satan thought he had destined to join him in the lake of fire. Satan thought he had created an unsolvable problem in the garden when he enticed Adam and Eve had only one possible sin. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. In Hebrew, it's dying, you will die. It's as emphatic as possible. And Satan comes to Eve. By the way, God spoke those words when only Adam was there, before Eve was drawn from his side. And so Adam's job was to pass that caution on to his wife. And we don't know if she wasn't listening carefully or if he was not voicing it carefully. But when the serpent came, he says, I understand that if you eat of that tree, something bad might happen to you. Oh, yeah, well, we're not to eat of it nor touch it. God didn't say you couldn't touch it. He didn't say you couldn't play catch with it. But the... Don't eat of it. The day we, we're not to either eat of it or touch it, lest we die. We might die. What? That's not dying, you will die. Maxima, by the way, this is sta- Satan's standard thing. He maximizes the prohibition and minimizes the outcome. Oh, Yeah, you'll be the exception. You'll get away with it. And our prisons and jails are full of people that bought that line. (laughs) And so Eve ate of the fruit. Oh, she didn't keel over dead. Thought, well, okay, I'll give that a try. And as soon as he ate, and remember they're one created being, Their eyes were open, and that's the fall of man. And the effect on all of their progeny, which is all of us, has been the fall. Has been, and Satan thought he had created an unsolvable problem. He doesn't know anything about this God who is the creator of all things, who had created him. He doesn't know that God is a God who is good who is loving, who is merciful, who is gracious. When he led a third of the angels in rebellion, they weren't offered an opportunity for forgiveness of mercy. They don't even, those words aren't even in their dictionary. 
they're going to find they're going to get a lesson. They're going to get a lesson, and so are we. So when Adam sinned, it affected him, Eve, all of the, and all of their descendants. But Jesus is called the second, the last Adam. Why? Because he reverses the curse on all those who welcome that work of Christ on the cross. And what's Paul saying here? Let me back up to verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Those people who were as unlike Him as they could possibly be. Jesus was fully God. He is godly. He who has seen me has seen the Father, said Jesus. And Christ died for those who were as unlike Him, that's you and me, as we could possibly be. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. We might offer ourselves in place of somebody that we really respected and really esteemed, really valued. God sent His Son to pay sin's penalty for a human race that was ungodly, as unlike Him as we could possibly be. And yet that's the kind of love that He has. We can't get our... That's not a love that's native to us but it was native to him. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we have a standing of righteousness before the holy God. That's what justification means. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And what he's doing is he is moving on. He is finishing up He's speaking to the Roman, laying this out before the church at Rome. He's finishing up, laying out the solution to problem one. Our condemnation before God is what Christ did for us on the cross. And what he does is he brings us from a place of condemnation to a place where we are justified. Where we stand righteous before the righteous God. Just before the just God. That's the solution, is justification. The entirety of Romans chapters 1 through 9 is summed up in, in Romans 10, 9 and 10. That with, well, Romans 10, 10, with the heart we believe unto justification. What do I need to do to go from a standing before the holy God of condemnation to a standing of being just and holy and righteous before Him. I simply transfer my trust from my own efforts, my own works, solely to the work of Jesus as my Redeemer. He paid sin's penalty for us on the cross. And I need to simply abandon my self-effort 
and put all my trust in what he does and I move from a place of condemnation before the Holy God to complete welcome. With the heart we believe unto justification and what he's moving into now in the next three or four chapters is with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And salvation is the solution word to our sinfulness. Justification is the solution word to my standing before God of being condemned, and he moves me from condemnation to righteousness. Salvation is the word, and Paul is very consistent in the use of these two words. Salvation is the solution word for that nasty discovery we make within about 30 seconds of having to come to faith in Jesus. Oh, I'm still a sinner in my nature. Yikes. I still have a fallen nature. I still have this bent towards sin. I still have Satan voicing things to me through the words, world system or directly or the world, the flesh, and the devil. All these, we have, I, oh no, oh no, oh no. What's the solution to that? It's the word salvation. And what Paul is going to be pointing to, there's two elements that allow us deliverance from our sinful nature. And that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who supplies to us the divine energy we need to walk in His promises, to walk in His declarations. And we take a public stand for Christ. We speak out. Jesus says in Matthew 10 to the disciples, if you confess me, my disciples, before men, I will confess you before my Father. I know I've said this last week. Okay, I know I did. I need to hear it more than once, and so do you. Okay? If you confess me before men, I, the Messiah, I, God the Son, will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Do you want Jesus campaigning for you in heaven? The next verse in Matthew 10 is, if you, my disciples, deny me before men, if you keep your lips zipped for me down here, I'll deny you before my Father who is in heaven. I will keep my lips zipped free. Okay, no, you don't want that outcome. You want Jesus campaigning for you in heaven. Those are the two things Paul is going to be pointing to as a solution to dealing with our own sinfulness in the midst of a sinful environment and how we can be victorious over our own fallen nature and this hostile environment. Verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, Adam, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, we all receive the bad reality of Adam's choice. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Wait, 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 wait. How do we know what is a sin? I mean, from the time of Adam until the time of the Ten Commandments coming down in Moses' embrace from Mount Sinai, how did we know what was right and what was wrong? Well, he's already given us a hint in chapter 1. The law is written on our hearts. Don't you know not to murder? 
Don't you know not to steal? Don't you know not to commit adultery? Don't you know not to lie about other people? And what's the Tenth Commandment? You shall not covet. Basically, your neighbor's life, wife, stuff, reputation. You shall worship the Lord your God and him you only you shall serve. Don't you know to worship the Creator God? Yes, you do. That is written in the heart of every human being. I don't care who they are, where they're born. They can be born in the Amazon basin, in a, in a tribe there, and they know right from wrong because it's written on our hearts. We bear God's image. Even as fallen creatures, we bear his image. We understand what truth is. We understand what morality, right and wrong, are. That's engraved on our spirits, on our hearts. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned in Adam. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Hey, you know, we can get away with it. God hasn't forbidden. No, he wrote it on your heart. Not stop it. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression. I never ate of the fruit of that tree. Why should I bear sin's penalty? Because you were in your forefather Adam when he did it. For until the law, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Adam is a model that's going to be followed by Jesus of Nazareth. Except, it's, it's, we have some old-timey people here that remember... Uh, photography the way it once was where you actually had film in your cameras and you had negatives and then you had the actual photograph made from the negative and the negative was black and the Adam is the negative Jesus is the positive Jesus is going to be like Adam except in a reverse in a reverse Adam was darkness Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son come in the flesh, is light, is light. I am the light of the world. You people have been walking in darkness, but I am the light of life. I am the light of life. The free gift that comes because of what Jesus accomplished for us as the second, as the last Adam, what he did on the cross, paying sin's penalty for us, the free gift is not like the offense. For if, by the one, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Adam sinned one sin. And it had all of this negative effect. God looks at all of that catastrophe, all of that mess created by Adam's one sin sin and he reverses that mess that is immeasurable how 
powerful, how effective was Jesus' work on the cross. If you look at the narrative in the Gospels, just what met the eyes of the disciples of the Romans who were there governing the crucifixion, the people who were there, Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest standing at the foot of Jesus' cross, mocking him, all of this narrative. Jesus had been on the cross for three hours and suddenly it became dark in the middle of the day. Darkness, darkness, darkness. Why? Because God the Father was judging God the Son in our place for our sin. He was the Lamb of God upon whom, who was the sacrifice. And all of the judgment due to us for an eternity in the lake of fire was poured out on him. Jesus was the only person who could bear that burden and pay since penalty an eternal debt. An eternal debt. He could pay off that debt in a six-hour span on the cross. He was nailed to the cross about 9 a.m., and he gave up his spirit. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit about 3 in the afternoon. And during that time, he paid sin's penalty. And what was the response of that pagan centurion who governed the crucifixion? Truly, this was the Son of God. He had witnessed an event. Man who had governed many crucifixions he had witnessed a crucifixion of a kind like none other. Christ paid sin's penalty for us. And the gift was not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. Even the unfallen angels have to be standing back and saying, what? What? I think we have a picture of that in Revelation chapter 7, when the saints wearing white are gathered around the throne beyond the sight of John the Apostle, who is there witnessing this in heaven, surrounded by angels, and they are all, the saints are giving praise and glory to God, and the angels are keeping silent. Because the angels are finding out. The angels are finding out things about God. They, by the redemptive work of Christ on the cross, they have found out things about God in whose very presence they had lived they are finding out things about the reality of their God that they did not know before. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense, Adam's offense, Death reigned through the one, through that one offense, much more. Those who received abundance of gra- receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign 
in life through the one, Jesus Christ. God takes those who are called his enemies, turns them into his friends, and says, I'm going to make you a trophy of my grace. A trophy of my grace. You are going to be an expression of worship to me that otherwise there would not have been. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign, be victorious in life through the one Jesus Christ. He has called us to victory. Victory not only in that day to come when we have a glad welcome into His presence, but victory now. Even in this hostile environment, it's hostile both because of our fallen nature within us, but also because of the world of flesh, the world and the devil that surround us. But we will be victorious. We will be victorious. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. One offense, condemnation for the whole human race. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Justification leading to life. Out of that black background steps forth this person of light. I am the light of the world, and he accomplishes what none of us or even the angels could have imagined. Therefore, as through one man's as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. We were born in Adam's sin. We were also born with a fallen, sinful nature. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Jesus fixes the problem completely. Now, the complete victory, the complete solution still awaits us when we stand welcome in his presence without even our fallen nature being a part of us. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, not only in our standing before God, but in our nature, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. For where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. One of the, I'm going to say shocking statements that Paul repeatedly makes in Romans is, why did God, what was God's principal reason for giving the Ten Commandments? In order to incite sin. What? What happens when oxygen hits fire? The fire, we got a retired fireman here, he can tell us all about it. When oxygen hits fire, it explodes. It doesn't create the oxygen, it doesn't create the fire, but it exposes the fire 
and enlarges the fire, what happens to you and me when we hear, don't fill in the blank? Our fallen sinful nature, our natural inclination is to say, don't you tell me, don't. Who are you to tell me, don't, anything? Or do, you shall love the Lord your God, and Him only you will serve. Who are you to tell? When commands to do right and commands not to do wrong hit our fallen nature, God gave the law so that it would create in us that impact that will would really put on display to us our desperate need. Lord, I've heard your law and I'm discovering more sin in myself than before I heard your law. And you know what? That doesn't frighten God. God has all power. He's going to solve it. Yes, I'm inciting the flame. And part of the format of firefighting is before the firemen show up, what do they want you to do? Keep all the windows closed. Keep the doors closed. Create as little oxygen getting to the fire as possible. And what do they do? They show up with their hatchets and they start breaking windows. They start tearing open because they suddenly want the fire to jump forward so they will know where the problem is and be able to go there and deal with it. What happens when the law hits our fallen nature? And then it gets addressed more fully. Gets addressed more fully. The law entered that the offense might abound. Was that, did that create a threat to God? God holds the entire creation in the palm of his hand, in the span of his hand. You ain't going to threaten God, okay? He is the master of all things, and he actually supplied the law so that the flame of our sinfulness would enlarge so that we would know we had a problem and cry out to him for his mercy, mercy, mercy. I just love that statement, Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah is called as a prophet, and I know I'm repeating myself, I still got my mind together, and Isaiah is in a in a vision, he is in the very throne room of God in heaven. Seeing the Lord. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And the seraphim, the burning angels, are, there's a, they're voicing back and forth. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy to the Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of His glory. And these angels of fire, these seraphim, that's going back and forth in antiphonal chorus. And Isaiah's response is, I am undone. Oh no. I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, 
the Lord of hosts. There's no way I can survive this. There's no way I can survive this. And, oh, yes, you can. In fact, I'm calling you to be a prophet. I'm a man of unclean lips, and the angel, one of the seraphim, with tongs, takes a coal from off of the altar and touches his lips. How do you like that solution? <laughs> I've cleansed you. Now I'm going to send you forth to speak my word to the people. The law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, the outcome of sin is death. Separation from God and physical death is the separation of your spirit soul from your physical body. And if you're an unbeliever, you go into torments. If you're a believer, you go into the embrace of God. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign, take absolute control through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Both the righteousness of a glad welcome with God, I stand just, I stand righteous before the just and righteous and holy God, but also it has an effect in your earthly walk that you will be delivered from the power of sin while in this hostile environment, both outside and inside. And next Sunday, God willing, we will pick up with Paul moving into dealing with how do we walk in that victory in the present time in this present environment. Let's pray. Our Lord, we are grateful that the Holy Spirit has drawn us to the core. This is the reality of what you have, have accomplished for us, Lord Jesus, the last Adam. You reversed Adam's curse completely. The paradise that awaits us because of your redemptive work on the cross is going to be even more glorious than the paradise that Adam and Eve dwelled in. We are so grateful that you have accomplished this. We ask that you would enable us to walk in this truth in the week to come and that you would grant to us the opportunity to share this truth with others who need to hear it just as much as we needed to. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd Jesus, and all God's people said, <laughs>